Hello, I'm Rhonda Nowak for the Mail Tribune and Rosebud Media. This is the Literary Gardener for January 16th, 2020. The topic this time is Serious Mind Gardening, a dozen books in my TBR or to be read pile for 2020. I expect to pass through this world but once. Any good, therefore, that I can do or any kindness I can show to any fellow creature, let me do it now. Let me not defer or neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. Stephen Grillet, Quaker Missionary, 1773 through 1855. This quote is often attributed to Philadelphia's founder William Penn, who lived between 1644 and 1718. However, scholars say it was more likely stated by Stephen Grillet, another Quaker who lived after Penn. During the French Revolution, Grillet was imprisoned and would have been executed, but he escaped and later dedicated his life to missionary work throughout the world, including the new United States of America. Grillet's adage remains instructive 200 years later, at a time when goodness and kindness to our fellow creatures have never been so important in order for humanity to meet the daunting social and environmental challenges of the 21st century. In the first book in my TBR pile for 2020, Most Good, Least Harm, 2009, author Zoe Wheel certainly took Grillet's proverb to heart, and for that she received the 2010 Silver Nautilus Book Award for Sustainability and Green Values. Visit the Nautilus website for award winning books that promote conscious living and green values, spiritual growth, wellness, and positive social change at www.nautilusbookawards.com. Wheel writes This book is based on a very simple premise. When we do the most good and the least harm through our daily choices, we create inner and outer peace. She says that she calls this way of living MOGO, short for most good, and it's become the guiding principle of her life. As a humane educator, Wheel teaches her students and readers how to access and evaluate information about living sustainably, peaceably, and humanely, and then how to make informed decisions and changes by matching our actions with a more conscious set of values. By the way, did you know that at least 14 states in the U.S. now have laws for providing humane education in public schools? Oregon law requires, quote, instruction in ethics and morality. A MOCO lifestyle involves 10 principles. One, commit to inquiry, introspection, and living with integrity. Two, work toward change. Three, rethink, reuse, repair, and recycle. Four, eat for life. Five, reduce your ecological footprint. Six, advocate for schools to make humane education a priority. Seven, invest and spend money ethically. Eight, build community. Nine, share what you know. And ten, strive for balance. These lofty goals may seem intimidating to accomplish, but Wheel provides a questionnaire and action plan to help us get started on the MOGO path. She says it will be our individual lives and the collective movement growing from our combined efforts that will transform the world into one in which our choices are healthy, sustainable, peaceful, and just. Here are the other titles in my TBR pile. I'm looking forward to doing some serious mind gardening during these cold winter nights. For discussion during 2020 of each of the books listed, visit my website at www.literarygardener.com. 
Other books related to sustainability issues include A Better Planet, 40 Big Ideas for a Sustainable Future, 2019, edited by Daniel C. Esty. This book takes an academic perspective on sustainability issues through 40 essays, each with a focus on environmental protection. The book is divided into five broad subjects. One, nature, land, and water. Two, innovation and technology. Three, law and policy. Four, resources, economics, and sustainable business. And five, society, equity, and process. The articles, written by experts in their field, offer solutions for how humans can obtain the necessary resources to flourish in a manner that is sustainable for future generations without causing irreversible damage to the planet. Altogether, the volume provides an in-depth, bipartisan examination of these complex issues. The next book is How the Government Got in Your Backyard, 2011, by Jeff Gilman and Eric Heberlig. Written during the Obama administration by a political scientist and a horticultural scientist, this book discusses 10 controversial environmental topics of interest to gardeners, as well as anyone interested in environmental policies. Issues discussed include organic food, safer, friendlier, better, Pesticides, how dangerous is dangerous? Genetic engineering, a time bomb waiting to explode? And plant patents, protecting plants or profiteering, among several others. Each chapter offers different environmental policy alternatives with comments on the likelihood of liberals and conservatives favoring that policy option. The next category is poetry. I have the Eco-Poetry Anthology 2013, edited by Anne Fisherworth and Laura Gray Street. According to the editors of this volume, the environmental crisis is made possible by a profound failure of the imagination. What we humans disregard, what we fail to know and grasp is easy to destroy. Yet poetry returns us in countless ways to the world of our senses. Over the last several decades, eco-poetry has emerged as a genre of nature poetry that responds to environmental concerns. It's an expression of social and environmental justice movements in the U.S. and throughout the world. The anthology begins with an historical section with works by American poets that predate the 1960s environmental movement, which was spurred by the publication of Rachel Carson's Silent Spring in 1962. Readers are invited to revisit the poetry of Walt Whitman, Emily Dickinson, Robert Frost, Langston Hughes, and several others, this time from an eco-poetical perspective. The second section includes the works of 176 contemporary poets who use a variety of forms. A few of my favorites are Cheryl St. Germain, Hawthorne Deming, Jane Hirschfield, Mary Oliver, and C.D. Wright. The next category is Plants and Gardens. I have Vegetable Gardening in the Pacific Northwest, 2012, by Lorene Edwards Forkner. This is a practical guide to gardening in areas of the PNW, including the Rogue Valley, that are influenced by a maritime climate. The book provides month-by-month gardening advice for planning, preparing and maintaining, sowing and planting, and harvesting. An easy-to-use chart for planting and harvesting is included, along with a discussion of particular edible plants and recommended varieties for our area. 
The next book is The Flora and Fauna of the Pacific Northwest Coast, 2018, by Colin Varner. An ecologically sustainable garden necessarily includes native plants that help sustain native wildlife. This book includes colorful pictures and descriptions of the huge diversity of PNW flora and fauna species that are found in habitats ranging from coastal shorelines to alpine elevations. Invasive plants and their destructive habits are also discussed. The next book is Fantastic Fungi, How Mushrooms Can Heal, Shift Consciousness, and Save the Planet, 2019, by Paul Stamets. Every gardener needs to understand the important role of fungi in maintaining ecological vitality. This book, which has been adapted into a film that's currently in selected theaters all over the country, discusses research that shows how fungi's mycelium can offer solutions for today's environmental challenges. Stamets also explores mushrooms as an alternative to Western pharmaceuticals. The next book is Garden Revolution, How Our Landscapes Can Be a Source of Environmental Change, 2016, by Larry Weiner and Thomas Christopher. The authors explain how to design and create ornamental gardens and landscapes that are not only more environmentally sound, but also require less work from gardeners to maintain. They argue that ecological gardening begins by studying how plants and wildlife interact in surrounding woodlands, shrublands, and meadows, and then making decisions for native and non-native plantings based on an in-depth analysis of your site. The next category is Garden History. First, I have Queen Elizabeth in the Garden, 2008, by Tria Martin. This is a fascinating account of how Robert Dudley, Earl of Leicester, and Queen Elizabeth I's Chief Minister, William Cecil, Lord Burghley, competed for the Queen's favors by building elaborate gardens on their estates. Known for her love of gardens and lavish lifestyle, Queen Elizabeth I exemplifies the antithesis of conservation. However, she was extremely influential in the emergence of a distinctly English garden, which continues to inspire gardeners today. The next book is Defiant Gardens, Making Gardens in Wartime, 2006, by Kenneth I. Helfand. Gardens might not at first seem like political acts, but Helfand dis- no- disrupts that notion by showcasing 20th century gardens that were created and tended during periods of extreme social, political, and economic turmoil. Included are accounts and archival photographs photographs taken of gardens tended by soldiers in trenches during World War I, gardens built by prisoners of war during World War I and World War II, and gardens that fed families held in Japanese-American internment camps during World War II. Helfand makes it clear that gardens and gardeners have long been a source of hope and defiance against injustice. The final category is recipe books for my garden harvest. The first book is Umami Bomb, 75 Vegetarian Recipes That Explode with Flavor, 2019, by Raquel Pelzel. Umami, pronounced umami, is often referred to as the fifth taste because the richly satisfying sensation defies categories of sweet, sour, salt, salty, or bitter. Pelzel explains that umami is created when particular compounds in fermented, preserved, aged, or roasted food break down in the mouth. 
She provides plant-focused recipes that feature eight important umami ingredients. These are Parmesan and other aged cheeses, soy sauce, tomatoes, mushrooms, caramelized onions, miso, smoke, and nutritional yeast. The recipes and colorful pictures provide inspiration for those of us who want to reduce meat in our diet, and also we want our veggies to taste spectacular. The next book is Shakespeare's Kitchen, Renaissance Recipes for the Contemporary Cook, 2003, by Francine Segan. For Shakespeare enthusiasts, this part history, part cookbook offers an interesting journey into Elizabethan cuisine. With related excerpts from the Bard's plays and gorgeous photographs, Segan begins with ingredients and instructions for making kickshaws or appetizers and ends with banquet fare or desserts. In between are recipes for pottage, which are soups and stews, salads, vegetatives or vegetable dishes, and dishes featuring fowl, meat, and fish. Well, I've got a quite a big pile here of books to read, and I can't wait. That's it for The Literary Gardener this time. Thanks so much for listening, and happy mind gardening. <music>